pick up from last week. Amen. I made it to where I wanted to last week, and hopefully we'll make it to where I want to tonight. Lord willing, praise God. Amen. We had church here Sunday morning, and we went. I went to Olathe, and uh, we spent time with them, and we had church Sunday night. Had a good time of worship, just like we did here Sunday morning, and then we had a good time in the altar after after God called us to the altar. Amen. Praise God. Acts chapter one, verse number five. The Bible tells us. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Amen. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're going to continue on our trek through the book of Acts. And tonight I want to continue talking about this promise that Jesus gave to us here tonight and uh, we talked about um, last week we talked about how that um, the promise we talked about the end we talked about what's going to happen when we make it to heaven and we've taken part of this promise the promise of the father that Jesus was talking about tonight I want to talk about how 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 did they go about obtaining the promise that Jesus was talking about Amen. I think this is a very important part of what happened at the day of Pentecost. And so, amen, as we dig into the word of the Lord, amen, we're going to ask God to bless his word, amen, to, to our hearing tonight. And you can be seated. Amen. We just finished, we just prayed just a moment ago. <clears throat> and so we're going to dig into the word of the Lord tonight. And uh, we talked about last week how that those that Jesus was received up into heaven, and the angels appeared by those disciples that were there that day, and he, they, he said to them, they said to them, he said, hey, why are you waiting around here? Why tarry ye here? He said, go to Jerusalem and tarry there in Jerusalem. And uh, we find here that the people of God, those people, those disciples that were there, um, they went uh, to Jerusalem. Now, there's a few things that we're going to hopefully pull out of this passage of Scripture tonight, and that is we're going to begin to dig a little bit deeper in there and, and begin to talk about what it was that those that received the promise in the book of Acts chapter number 2, what was it that helped them to obtain that promise. Amen. Now, you've got to understand one other thing that I didn't mention last week was um, it's speculated by theologians and those that uh, when you begin to study the scripture, they, they, many people tend to believe that there was nearly 500 people with Jesus on the mount when he, was, when he ascended into heaven. Um, now, why is that important? Why, do you want, why did I want to make sure that you understood that part? Because of where we're about to go. Uh, I want you to ride with me for just a little while. Amen. Now, last week we also talked a little bit about the command that Jesus gave them. He said, look, you've got to go and you've got to preach and you've got to teach and you're going to go everywhere. You're going to be witnesses of me starting in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the world. Now, 
we talked then a little bit about how that, that the gospel was first preached in Jerusalem. And it was orchestrated by God to do that. Um, and he maintained that. He, he continued to reach out to the Jews. Um, and then you find where Philip, I think it's chapter number 8 um, of Acts, where Philip is, is, is driven from Jerusalem and he goes to a place called Samaria. Now Samaria housed the, the, the half Jews, half Gentile. Um, and primarily, I, I can't remember what race it was, but um, the Samaritans were not allowed to come into um, the Jewish areas of worship because they were considered by the Jews to be unclean um, because they had married and taken in marriage outside of the Jewish family. And so that's where you find the Samaritans. Can you, if you let me say it this way, Samaria, Samaria was where all of the half-breeds would live. And that's where they, they that, in fact, the Jews hated Samaria so much that even the disciples, when Jesus was around, he was having revival in Galilee, I think it was, Cana, I think it was, I don't know the exact location, but Jesus said, hey, I must needs go through Samaria. And, as, and when he said, I got to go through Samaria, uh, it's, it's evident as he's making that trek that his disciples are trying to hurry him along. But he gets to the well of Jacob and he stops. Now the disciples know where they're at. They have no doubt where they're at. And they know that in just a little while, there's a bunch of women going to come out of, out of Samaria and come to this well and draw water to take back to their homes for the evening. And Jesus decides, I'm going to stop. Why did he stop? Well, it's quite simple. The Bible was very clear. He got tired. He needed to take a rest from his travels. And he stopped. I believe it was more than just he got tired. But I believe that God orchestrated it in the fact that Jesus got to that place and felt the need to rest there. And he sent his disciples, guess where? Into the town of Samaria. Now, this isn't a part of my notes right now, but I'm, I'm laying a foundation because I want you to understand where we're about to go. Jesus said, hey, a little bit hungry? We don't have any food with us right now? Go into town, go into Samaria and buy some bread and bring it back here, and I'll wait right here at this well. We Most of us know the story where the... Uh, Jesus was there, and while he was waiting, a woman, a single one woman, just comes out of town. She comes to the well, and Jesus meets her there, and he asks her for a drink of water. And she goes, oh my, no. Are you sure you want this water from me? Don't you know who you're talking to? And can I say it this way? Jesus looked at her and says, but don't you know who you're talking to? He said, because if you were to know who I am, you would be asking of me. You would be asking drink of me and not I you. 
And she said, sir, how are you going to get this water out of the well? You don't even have a pail in your hand. How are you going to get water out of the well? He said, I have water that you don't know of. He said, because there's going to come a day that from your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And it was from that moment that he began to tell her of her past and where she had been and what she had done. And he began to talk to her. And she looked at him and revelation came upon her. And she realized that he wasn't just another ordinary man, but this was a man of God. And he was telling her all of her life story without even knowing her from Eve, if you'll let me say it that way. And he said... Um, he said, he just began to explain these things to her, and something triggered in her mind, and Brother Mendez, she ran back home, and, and I can't imagine, the disciples are in town, they're not telling anybody that Jesus is out there and that Jesus can help them. No doubt, Brother Tuffy, that, that everybody in Samaria had already heard about the works that Jesus was doing in, in everywhere that he was going. And had they known, probably that some of them would have gone out there to meet with him. But, but while he was there, the disciples are there, and, and no doubt, and if you'll let me use my imagination a little bit, they're, they're, they're trying to hide themselves. Maybe they got their little hoodies on and they got their heads covered. We don't want them to know who we are. We don't even want to make eye contact with any of these people because these people are horrible people. These people are outcasts, and we don't like these people. And I'm sure that they, they made sure that they didn't touch any of them. They threw their money down on the counter. They took what they, they were purchasing, and they got out of town, buddy. They were getting out of there because they didn't want to come into contact with anybody. And what I think is so beautiful about the story, this woman, Donnie, she went running back into town. And no doubt she's screaming and hollering, hey, Guys, got to meet this man that I just ran into at the well. And she began to tell them, hey, you guys know who I am. You know what kind of lifestyle I live. And, he, and she began to proclaim what had happened to her back at the well. And, and the disciples, while she's doing all of this, proclaiming that Jesus is in their midst and that Jesus, if you, if you need something uh, in your life to be changed, she said, you need to come meet this guy. Amen. He's got some answers. I wasn't looking for answers today, but he gave me some answers back at the well, and he's still there. And she's back there in town telling everybody that she can find, hey, Jesus is in our midst today. Why don't you come and meet him? Amen. He can tell you what you need to do, just like he told me what I needed to do and and as she's doing all that the disciples are running back out there to Jesus and they come to Jesus and they said Jesus here here's some food you know what he told them I'm not hungry anymore <laughs> they said well somebody bring him some food he said no I have been fed by things that you don't understand Amen. He said, he's, and he's talking to his disciples, and just ride with me here this, just for a minute as he's talking to his disciples, amen, and he's explaining to them what's going on. They don't understand. They're trying to figure this thing out, and all of a sudden, he looks up, and he said, hey, look out 
on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. The Bible don't say this, but I know eventually they looked up, and all of a sudden, a whole massive crowd's coming out of the town to come out there and meet them. And Jesus stayed there, and he ministered to them. And no doubt, some of those people recognized those disciples. Amen. They, they knew that they had just been in town. Amen. But Jesus said, hey, you're going to help me win these Samaritans. Uh, you're going to help me teach these Samaritans. You're going to help me help these Samaritans. Why? Because Jesus wanted them to understand, I don't care whosoever will. Amen. Let them come unto me. Amen. If they will hear my voice, let them come. Let them come. Amen. So the Samaritans, the Samaritans, amen, they were, they were an outcast of a people. And uh, can I tell you, the Jews were a very prejudiced bunch of people. They're very, they, they were, and if you meet some today, you'll find out they still are. Amen. Because God has blessed them. Amen. God has used them, and they know that God's got, they are the apple of God's eye. They are. But God has gone beyond just the Jews. And he's reached out to the Samaritans. And the next thing you find in the scripture in, in chapter 10, he's, he, in chapter 8, he reaches the Samaritans. In chapter 10, he opens the door to the Gentiles. Anybody that's not Jewish descent, uh, amen. And he, he has opened the door to whosoever will at this point in time, amen. And Jesus said, hey, it's going to have to start back in Jerusalem, Amen. There's no telling what will happen in our lives if we if we'll learn how to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. When he begins to move, amen, maybe one day you'll be out there and all of a sudden you see Jacob's well and you realize, hey, I need to stop here for a little while. I don't know why I feel like I need to stop here, but I'm just going to chill out here for a little while and I'm going to spend some time right here. Amen. You may be in Walmart, and you, you, may, you may be walking up and down an aisle, and for whatever reason you feel like, hey, this is the area I need to be walking in right now. And you have no idea why you're in this aisle, because you don't have any use for any of the things on the, on the shelves. But for some reason, you feel like you need to be here. Amen. I, I, I know I'm being a little obscure, but I want you to understand, God works in these types of ways, folks. Amen. God works in this fashion. Amen. You go to the gas station, and you, 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 you never go on the inside of the gas station. If you're like me, you go, you pump your gas, and you hit the road, and you keep on moving. Amen. Unless you're at Quick Trip or Casey's. Amen. But um, anyhow... Maybe you pull over at some other gas station that you, you never, ever hardly go inside of. But that day, you feel like, hey, I need to go inside the gas station today. No telling who's going to be standing behind those doors for you to begin to tell of the goodness of God. we got to be willing, folks. There are people out there that are hungry. Amen. If, if Asbury, if, if, if this whole thing that transpired with Asbury teaches us anything it should teach us that this world is full of hungry people that are sick and tired of going through the motions amen i saw another picture today at times square where where it said times square was full of people that were worshiping the lord i don't know i've only seen one 
one, one, uh, one picture. I haven't seen any videos. I haven't seen anything else. All I know is that's what I've seen. And I keep hearing of these different uh, places, Texas A&M, amen, they, they started breaking out down there. And students begin to pray and seek the face of God. Thank God for this. This tells me people are hungry. And it, you know what it specifically tells me, and I've been saying it for a long time, the young people of this, this world are hungry for something that's real. They're not looking for the same old, same old stuff. Because they know it hasn't worked for so many different people. And they're willing to say, hey, I'll put everything aside if I can just get a hold of God and something that will work in my life and change me forever. They're willing to do it. Are we willing to go out there and help them and, and to compel them to come on in and, and experience the goodness of God? Are we willing to do it? I say, yes, God. I, 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 the, the, the call that is ringing in my heart and my mind tonight is, is that call when, when, when Isaiah was there and he was in the temple, amen, and he, he saw the Lord, amen, and his glory fill the temple, amen, and his train was filling that temple, and there was angels singing and, and crying, holy, 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 amen, is the Lord God Almighty. And the next thing you read there is one of those angels grabbed a burning coal from off of the altar, and he came and laid it upon the lips of Isaiah. And Isaiah said, uh, and, and, he, and he looked at Isaiah, and he said, hey, who will go for us? Uh, amen. I am calling. Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. I will go. I will go. That's what the Holy Ghost is doing to us. Amen. That's those that have been filled with the Holy Ghost. God is crying. Who will hear and who will go for us? How many of us are going to be willing to say, I, here I am, God. I'll go. Let me be the vessel that steps out. The whole point of me pointing out Samaria a while ago was in Jerusalem. Who we know as the Apostle Paul, he was Saul back then. He was known as Saul and and he was oppressing the, the people of God. And, and he, he is the reason why Philip left Jerusalem and he found himself in Samaria. In Samaria. And he began to preach the gospel. And he began to baptize people in Jesus' name. And word got back to Peter and John back in Jerusalem. And they said, hey, Something's happening in Samaria. We got to get down there. And as soon as Peter showed up and he began to lay his hands on people, amen, they began to be filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, evidenced by the speaking in tongues, speaking in another tongue, and, 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 and they began to see an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That's what we're going to have to see here. Amen. Amen. I, I know if Sister Rini was here, I'd say it, but she's not here. Amen. But I'm going to say it anyway. Praise God. Uh, I, I want her to know. Uh, she, she made mention to me. I sent her some of the videos of, of Brother Taylor Fish going out there and, and preaching the gospel and, and, and baptizing people. And, and I, I sent her the live stream of him uh, testifying to what was transpiring there. And, 
And as she began to talk, uh, she began to message me back. And she said, Pastor, we need to load up the van, my van, and we need to get load up Sister Hilton's van. Let's go on over there and, and let's go see and let's, let's go to Asbury and let's, let's take part of this. And I said, no, sister, we need to do it right here, right here in Lacine. We need to do it right here in Lynn Valley. There are people that are hungry in Pleasanton. There are people that are hungry in Drexel. There are hungry people in Lewisburg. There are people hungry in New Lancaster. There are people hungry all around this area. Amen. We've just got to light a fire that gets their attention. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why it's going to be important that we, 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 we go beyond what we're norm, normally comfortable with and allow the Holy Ghost to lead us and to guide our, our footsteps. And that leads me into what I want to get into today. I'm, I'm getting into my notes now. Amen. But I, I want you to understand, uh, Luke chapter number 24, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he told his disciples, and you guys have heard me use these scriptures a hundred times, but I'm going back to it because I want you to see what's there. Luke 24 and 47, Jesus tells his disciples, he said this, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus told his disciples, you guys need to start preaching in Jerusalem, go back to where you're from. It needs to start right there in Jerusalem. Begin preaching the gospel. Luke chapter 24 verse 49 says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of where? So what was Jesus' command to these people? Go back to Jerusalem. We've, I, I've talked about plenty of times that he said go preach, right? And we've also talked about how he, he mentioned that they need to preach remission of sins in his name, expressing the fact that, that it is the name of Jesus in which you will receive remission of sins. Therefore, that's whose name we should baptize you in. And then Jesus told them twice within a matter of three verses that they need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, we see Luke writing again, and he said, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from where? From Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. And I didn't put these scriptures in there. I should have. But if you go down to after where Jesus ascended into heaven and the, the, uh, the angels appeared unto them in white array and, and they begin to tell them, hey, what are you waiting for? Go to Jerusalem. What was the outcry of Jesus and, and the outcry and, and, and the direction of the Lord in this moment, what was the perfect, Brother Tuffy, what was the perfect will of God for these disciples right now? Really simple. Get to Jerusalem. Get over there. Go to Jerusalem. And I began wondering, why? Why Jerusalem? I got... I knew why, all right, but I began to think, you know what, I want to dig out the reasons why. 
And these aren't exhaustive because if these were exhaustive, we would be here for a long, long time just talking about the importance of why things had to begin at Jerusalem, all right? We're not going to do that. I just want to point out some things to you. And if you want to, take some notes and you unpack it for yourself at your home. Amen. And you'll understand what I'm talking about, why it would take me so long to express all of the reasons why Jesus said go back to Jerusalem. All right? I don't have time to do that. First of all is King David established this city as the capital of the United Kingdom of Israel. And his son, King Solomon, commissioned the, first, the building of the first temple in that city. So the first time that God ever dwelt in a house, well, let me put it this way, that the glory of God dwelt in a house was in Jerusalem. He dwelt in the midst of his people in the house that Solomon built him the first time. Secondly, during the long history of Jerusalem, Jerusalem had been destroyed at least two times. Destroyed, meaning nothing was left standing. It was besieged 23 times, meaning they went in and they took all of the goods out of the city. Does that make sense? When it was destroyed, there was no buildings left standing. When it was besieged, they came and they, they pillaged the place. They stole all of the goods from there. Amen. And it was attacked. 52 times, and captured and recaptured 44 times. Now, there's a lot to be unpacked right there in and of itself. I don't want to get too bogged down, but I want you to understand. I have it on good authority if these people would have obeyed God None of that would have happened. But God would have stood up and been their defense every single time. Uh, and that's important because of where I'm about to go with this. I want you to understand, during this long time of all of these attacks, these besieges, besiege, this <laughs> these, um, these overthrows, uh, these destruction, um, it was because the people decided not to, and it's a very important word that you need to cling on to for the rest of this message, and that is the people of God decided not to obey God. Therefore, what was precious to them was destroyed. If you want the protection of God in your life, I'll throw this out there for free. If you want the protection of God for your life, you need to obey God. You want to know how to continue to abide in the protection of the Lord? Well, get your nose in this book right here and begin to study what it has to say and make it apply, apply it to your life. And I can promise you when you are pleasing to God and that you are seeking after God, there is nothing in this world that can harm you or can hurt you because God will be setting around you and host of angels that will with. They, they will continue to guard you on a regular basis. That's just how it works, folks. That's how it works. 
I'm not saying you'll never have a hard time. I'm not saying that there won't be any hardships. But I can promise you this. In every single one of those things, God will be there and he will fight on your behalf. As long as you're seeking him and obeying his commandments. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. His commandments are pretty easy, actually, if you really think about it. The first and greatest commandment of all is what? Do you know? Love God with all your heart. That's the first one. And upon this one law, Jesus said, hangs everything else, every bit of the law, every bit of the prophets, everything that's going on in life right now, everything hinges upon your love for God. Even, commandment number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you love God with all your heart, it's not going to be hard to love your neighbor. So in essence, all of these things wrap up into one simple thing. Do you love God enough? Are you willing to live for God with all of your heart? Amen. A, a couple of quick fun facts. The name Jerusalem occurs 806 times in the Bible. 806 times. 660 times in the Old Testament. And 146 times in the New Testament. Amen. Just a fun fact. Amen. Jerusalem was pretty important landmark throughout the scripture. The city of Jerusalem unites the Old Testament and the church together. And Jerusalem was the Jewish capital. It is still, in their mind, still considered that today, and in God's mind as well. And if in, in every Bible-believing person, it should be that Jerusalem is their capital as well. Um, there are some things that was interesting that I, I learned from my father-in-law as he's begun to do some research into archaeology and, and all of these things. Do you know, when you look at Jerusalem, Brother Brother Mendez already heard this before, but, but if, if you look at Jerusalem, there's one building that stands out. Do you know what that building is? That, that one was where, yeah, it is over there by the wall, but it is called the temple. Help me out. Huh? I can't remember what it's called. It, it has the gold dome over it. Dome of the Rock, yeah, thank you. That Dome of the Rock was built by, guess who? It was built by the Muslims. In the process of building the Dome of the Rock, all of this is documented, by the way. Now, again, uh, he, my father-in-law triggered my... my uh, curiosity so I began to look it up as well but he began to tell us about how in, in one of the minister's classes that that he as he began to study he found that during the construction of the Dome of the Rock temple which is a Muslim mosque who worship Allah and in case you are wondering Allah is not the God that I serve there's no comparison between the two 
I don't have time tonight to unpack that, but just understand, I don't serve Allah. I, I serve God. I serve Jehovah. I serve Jesus. Amen. That's who I serve, not Allah. But I want you to understand, these Muslims, there, there are a series of, of, of different things you have to go through. When you're digging and you're trying to build in Israel, in ancient Israel, there are so many hoops you've got to jump through. And, and if you even find what could potentially be a remnant of an old building, you have to cease all building and all digging, and you've got to get the uh, um, get you've got to get the government involved. They got to come. They got to dig it out. They've got to start going through archaeological processes, and and it, until the government gives you clearance to build your building where you want to build your building, you're not building that building. Well, the Muslims decided. Guess what? We want this spot. This is our spot. No, it wasn't. That was, the temp- that was the place where Herod had renovated the temple and Solomon had built a temple. This was that place where the Dome of the Rock stands is where the old temple used to stand. The temple that Jesus walked into, which you... I don't have time to do, get on all this, but I want you to understand that was that was co- considered Herod's temple. It was not it was not the temple that Solomon built because it was destroyed. And uh, then what had happened was uh, the people of God, Nehemiah, and and those folks were given the okay by um, King Artaxerxes to go back to Jerusalem and build a temple. Well, they didn't have a lot of resources. So they just built what they could with with what they had, and it was it was pretty much a sorry uh, looking edifice. But when King when King Herod Herod the Great came into reign, politically he wanted to get on the good side of the Jews, and so he said, you know what, I'm going to invest a lot of money into this temple site and make them people love me and 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 make them make them follow me with all of their heart. And so he went in and he went in and he redid that entire temple. And so when Jesus arrived there, uh, the, the temple that he was walking into was known as Herod's temple. And uh, as he was there, that temple got destroyed after Jesus died and, and, and after Rome sieged the town, the, the, the Jerusalem again, and they destroyed the entire uh, um, edifice there. And, and some of the, the ways that they destroyed it was they, they got on the insides, it was up on a rock, okay, it was high up on a rock, and there was a law, there was sidewalks and such uh, underneath, it, not concrete side like, sidewalks like we know, but there were walk areas down below, and, and the soldiers, when they sieged uh, Jerusalem, they began to push these walls over onto the outside. And one cool thing, Brother Tuffy, is when we get there, and we get to the the Dome of the Rock, you can see the original walls on the ground below. That's pretty cool. They're all crumbled up now, by the way, but that those rocks and, and, and debris that you see down there were the stones that those soldiers had pushed over. Uh, in fact, the, the steps that, you, that lead up there to the Dome of the Rock are actually the steps that Jesus would have walked on during that time, um, based on 
what everybody, what every archaeologist is stating. Um, anyway, lots of probably boring facts to many of you, but where I'm going with this is the Muslims hate the Jews. By the way, the Muslims are the offspring of Ishmael, who was not the promised son of Abraham. There's a whole other story there. There have been, it's those two families have been at odds since the beginning, and they had continued to get be at odds until the end. I can promise you that. But the Muslims said, "This is our site. This is this is belongs to us." And so they showed up one day with bulldozers and they started clearing the site. They didn't contact the government. In fact, there are statements. There were some statements stating that the government tried to stop them and they just didn't listen. They just did what they wanted to built the building and said, well, here it is. And so the Muslims said, hey, this is our site. Saying, hey, we're, we're taking possession of Jerusalem. This is where we worship our God. When in reality, no, that's the people of God's site. What am I trying to say? The enemy likes to do his best to convince us and to persuade us. You know what? See, I got this stronghold that you, you've always looked at to be in that, that one thing that, uh, that, that, that was always that solid piece in your life that, that guess what, the devil's going to find that thing that you hold to as surety. If it's not God, let me tell you, honey, he's going to poke holes in that thing until, until it falls apart in your life. If you're looking to a man and you're not looking to God, let me tell you something. God's going to, the devil's going to show you flaws in that individual's life that's going to blow your mind and you're going to be like, ah, oh, man, he let me down. No, you're not serving him or them or whoever that person may be. I want you to understand, I serve the one and only true God. I'm not here worshiping men. I'm not here worshiping things. Uh, I am here for one purpose, and that purpose is to please God and to love him with all of my heart. And how can I do that? And how can I make sure that I'm showing everybody that I am doing that? It's by obeying the things that he's commanded me in his word. Amen. It's interesting that even today, Jerusalem is still considered a very important place. Very important place. Not just amongst the Jews, but Christians look to Jerusalem as a very important place. Muslims, as I said a few moments ago, obviously look to Jerusalem as a very key place in their lives. The next thing, that reason why that I believe that... Uh, why, why is Jerusalem so important? Jerusalem is the mother of the church. Did you know the Bible tells us that? Galatians chapter 4 and verse 26, the apostle Paul writes this, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now granted, he's talking about Jerusalem from above, but it's Jerusalem. Why, why is it the new Jerusalem? You've ever heard that term before? I can't wait to get to the new Jerusalem. I can't wait to abide. That place is going to be beautiful. There's not going to be any flaws in that place. In fact, I've heard tell that the streets are paved with pure gold. And the gates to get in there are made out of pearl. 
this is going to be a beautiful place. And I want to go there. Where did the church begin? The church began in Jerusalem. Where did the Holy Ghost fall? The Holy Ghost fell in Jerusalem. Jesus commanded his disciples that they need to go to Jerusalem. They were not to start out preaching. They were not to start out taking the gospel to the world. They were not ready yet. They needed something from God, and that was simply this. They needed the Holy Ghost on the inside of them. They needed the help of the Spirit of God. Therefore, God said, go back to Jerusalem. That's where my Spirit used to abide. Amen. That's where my Spirit, amen, wants to abide in, in, in the hearts of my people. And so I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to go there and tarry until the promise of the Father comes. They had to wait for that promise. That promise of the Father was the Holy Ghost. And in John chapter 20, verse number 22, amen, Jesus said this. He said, when he had said this, uh, he breathed on them and said to them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, some folks said, well, how come, how come we say the Acts, this is where they got the Holy Ghost? Now, pay attention. John chapter 20, verse number 22, they didn't receive the Holy Ghost. Jesus just told them, receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. He was prophesying to them. He was letting them know, hey, my spirit's going to come upon you uh, just like my breath. Uh, amen. That I have just blown upon you. My spirit will come. Amen. In this verse, uh, we find that Jesus breathed on them uh, the promise of the Holy Ghost. They still had to go to Jerusalem. They still had to obey what Jesus said to do in order to obtain the promise and be filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to see by this very lesson how important the receiving of the Holy Ghost is to God. It's important to Him. Amen. The rest of the New Testament is about God which is his, his spirit, which is the Holy Ghost, uh, working in his church. Uh, amen. The central purpose of the church uh, was simply this, to evangelize and to disciple everybody that they could. Amen. That was the call of God. But first, they had to obey what God said. Get back to Jerusalem and stay there until you be endued with power from on high, which was the Holy Ghost. Amen. And when they did that, they went to Jerusalem and they began to seek after God. Amen. I'm trying to hurry on through this. I, 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 I think I'm almost done. Amen. Acts chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 says, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. I, I want you to see that they obeyed. Amen. And where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip uh, and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus uh, and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Amen. Now, I, I accidentally left a verse out of here that was very key in this. Amen. But if you have your Bible, I want you to go back to Acts chapter 1 verse number 12. I want you to see that they, there were some of them that obeyed the command of Jesus. 
as long as you have your Bible open, I'm going to take you to another passage of Scripture that I know I didn't put in here, and I apologize. But you have your Bible. You can see it right there in your Bible for yourself. Acts chapter 1, verse number 12. Then returned they unto where? Is that what it says? Did they obey what Jesus asked them to do? Now, a while ago, I made it and I made an asserted effort to make sure you understood that many believe there were nearly 500 people at the mount where Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, brother Darren, brother Mendez, do you mind reading verse 15? How many? Doesn't say 500 there? Out of 500 assumed people on the mountain, only 120 made it back to Jerusalem. You say, what are you trying to get across, Pastor? Well, I think you're starting to understand what I'm trying to get across. 120. That means 400. And 80, no, 380. 380 people, Donnie, they didn't make it to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if they made it in the rest of the revival that they were having there in the book of Acts, but I know this much. They all heard, go back to Jerusalem. It says, how many went to Jerusalem, Brother, Brother Mendez? 120 people. Wow. About 120. It could have been 118, 123, somewhere in that range, you know. But it wasn't near 500. It was closer to 100 than 500. My goodness. 400 people, nearly 400 people didn't obey what Jesus told them to do, and look what they missed out on. They didn't get a promise from the Father because of one simple thing. They didn't obey. It's an old song that we sing, not an old song, but at least as old as me, but the donut man used to sing, O-B-E-Y, obey your mom and dad. Well, it's got to go further than your mom and dad. It's got to be O-B-E-Y, obey G-O-D. <laughs> we need to obey God. We want to be pleasing to him. Our love for him should cause us to desire to obey him unreserved. Whatever you say, God. It doesn't make sense. God, I'm over here on the mountain. You know what? You said go back to Jerusalem. Lord, that's a long ways away. I don't want to walk that far. I don't want to go back to that place. I mean, seriously, where, why, why? what reason do we have to go back there other than the fact that Jesus said get back there? That's where my spirit's going to fall. And if you're not there seeking my face, you're going to miss it. And they did. Again, I don't, I'm not saying that none of them made it. I'm, all I'm saying is at the very initial 
fall of the Spirit of God. They weren't there. And they could have been. They all heard the same command. They all heard the same promise. But only 120 or about 120 were, were the only ones who, who were able to receive the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. There's so much I could say, and I'm going to try to wrap this up. I've got so many more notes. I'm not even halfway through my notes right now. But in order to obtain the promise of the Father and to continue in His Spirit, first, you've got to obey. And second, you need to pray. It's very simple, folks. When you, sit, when you obey and you pray, then Acts 2 and 4 happens. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. My question is, you, you realize who all was there that night? I'll get to my question in a minute, but I want you to consider with me. Who was there? Go back to verse 13. They were come in. They went into an upper room where both, both Peter and James and John, Andrew and Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, Judas the brother of James, these all continued one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and who? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, Jesus' mother, was there. Now, some of us think our moms are exempt from a lot of things. But let me tell you something. Mary realized if she didn't obey what Jesus said, even though she was his mother, she wasn't going to experience the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that he was promising her. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what your status in life is, what color your skin is, how much money you have or don't have in the bank, and, and how, what, what you have as possessions. None of that stuff matters. The one thing that matters is, number one, are you, are you obeying Jesus? And number two, are you praying? Do you want power of, the power of God in your life? Well, are you obeying? And are you praying? And maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coin that phrase for a long time to come. I'm going to start asking people, are you obeying? <laughs> and are you praying? That right there, that's our lifeline, folks. That's what caused the initial outpour of the Holy Ghost that day. Was they obeyed and they prayed. They obeyed and they prayed. In this passage of scripture, as I, I'm going to close with this, I'm going to try to rush through it very quickly. If the mother of Jesus had to receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues, I submit to you that everybody needs to obey, receive the Holy Ghost, and you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives you utterance. That's what the scripture teaches. And you 
if you'll dig into it, you will find this stuff. In this passage of Scripture, there are three words or phrases that I want to very zero in on as we close this service tonight. The first one is, number one, they were in one accord. They were in one accord. The Bible says that in, one, in, in Acts 1 and 14, these all continued with one accord. All right, one accord. The Bible tells us, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, how good, Psalms 133, verses 1 through 2, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. You know what this scripture is telling us? If we want the anointing of the Lord upon our lives, just like Aaron had upon his life, to serve God as the high priest. Amen. We are a royal priesthood. Amen. We are a royal priesthood. Amen. A chosen generation today. Amen. If we want the anointing on our life like Aaron had upon his life, we're going to have to dwell together in unity. Amen. It's in the unity of the brethren that the anointing of the Holy Ghost begins to dwell and to work and to move in our midst. Amen. You, you got to understand. I believe that's what the Apostle Paul was referring to. And he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Verse 3 endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. And you're going to go on through there, and you're going to find out as he begins to unpack what he's talking about. Amen. This is so that we can edify the body of Christ, that we can help one another to grow in the Holy Ghost. That's what this was all about. Amen. The next thing that the Scriptures show us, they were in one accord, and they were praying. Amen. In prayer, they, the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 tells Tells me uh, that we ought to pray uh, without uh, ceasing. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Amen. Luke 18, 1 through 7 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end. I'm not going to read the rest. Uh, just verse, verse 1. Uh, amen. To this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Never stop praying. It wasn't just the message from the Apostle Paul, but it was Jesus' message. Don't, don't stop praying. Don't stop. Keep praying. We need prayer in our lives today. We need obedience to the Word of God. We need prayer in our lives today. Amen. We need to obey and we need to pray. Amen. And the last thing that they said in prayer and supplication. Amen. In supplication. Now, now I want you to understand prayer is one thing. Amen. Supplication is quite another thing. Amen. Supplication is, you might ask, uh, hey, what, what, what does supplication mean? Amen. I went to our English dictionary and I looked it up and the word supplication means uh, to ask humbly, to ask earnestly, amen. And another uh, word that was a synonym of supplication was to entreat, to entreat. And I said, you know what, these are older words, I want to look it up, so I looked up entreat. You know what entreat means? It means simply this, to plead 
Yes, I said plead with especially in order to persuade or to ask urgently. Well, remember I talked about praying out loud with passion and with a desire like we're trying to persuade God that he needs to do what we're asking him to do. My friends, that's supplication. That's what was happening when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were in one accord in prayer and in supplication. They were crying out to God from the depths of their heart, just like what was happening right here on Sunday morning. People were crying out to God, God, I need you so badly. Amen. God, I want you in my life. Amen. That I believe that it turns on the heart of God. And God begins to say, hey, I hear something. Amen. I hear something. Somebody's trying to get my attention. Amen. The next thing you know, God's standing there right beside you. Amen. God's engulfed you with his presence. Why? Because you said, I don't care who knows. I don't care what I sound like. I don't care what I look like. I'm going to get a hold of God today, right here and right now. That's what was going on when they were seeking God. They obeyed. They went to Jerusalem. While they were at Jerusalem, they prayed and they made supplication unto the Lord. Amen. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse 18. Amen. The apostle Paul finished talking about the, 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 the armor of God, and he said this. He said, this is how you keep it all together, praying sometimes. Praying always. With all prayer and supplication. What? Not just prayer, but supplication was involved. And watching thereunto with all perseverance. You understand perseverance means I'm pressing on. With every ounce of my being, I'm pressing on. And here's the word again. And supplication for all saints. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. I think the scripture is trying to tell us, hey, let's take this thing to the next level. Let's let the Holy Ghost begin to work in our lives and to move in our hearts and to begin to minister to those around us. And how can we do that? It's simply by obeying the Holy Ghost and praying with everything that's on the inside of us. 1 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications and prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Amen. James talks about this in James chapter 5 verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because this last sentence right here says it all. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God begins to respond when we Obey, and when we pray, God begins to send His Spirit when His people, when not just any, not not just not just His people, but anybody. There's testimony to it across this nation. Anybody that will obey 
and prayed. God will answer them. And God will meet with them. And God will heal them. Amen. Revival comes when the church gets in one accord. And when the church prays and makes supplication. Just hoping for God's moving. Just waiting and just being present, my friend, is not going to be enough. We must be doing something. Close with this scripture, John James 4 and 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Can we stand tonight? Can we, can we reach out to heaven? I know every service in the last few weeks we've, we've been consecrating ourselves to God, but all I can say is, God, I want to.